Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 82, Tuesday, April 21st, 2020, and I'm back after another unintentionally long break in between podcast episodes. I hope all of you out there listening are healthy and you're safe out there during this crazy time. My thoughts and prayers are out to everyone who this COVID-19 pandemic has impacted in any way, shape, or form. I know it's touched a lot of families out there, and my thoughts are with all of you. We're all going to get through this and come out better in the end. There's no doubt in my mind about that. In this episode of the Doggy Juice Pod, I'm going to jump right into some quick hitters. I'm going to touch on a bunch of different storylines in the sports betting industry uh, over the past few weeks since I last talked to you. Obviously, the situation is fluid when it comes to the return of sports and the days of our being Russian table tennis are hopefully numbered, but at the same time, um, hopefully the people or all the important people that are making uh, the big decision on whether or not to you know, bring sports back, hopefully they do so with a for- forward-thinking, long-term mindset and don't jump the gun. Obviously, we all want sports back to bet on as soon as possible, but there are bigger things at play out in the world right now, and this virus uh, clearly isn't going to be going away anytime soon. Um, There's obviously a lot of chatter out there right now about when certain sports are going to be coming back and what they're going to look like when they do come back. And as always, I implore you to take great care in where you're getting your information from. This goes, you can translate this to sports betting too, and all the information you get when you're trying to make your bets. There's a lot of bullshit out there. So take anything and everything you hear with a grain of salt, including some of the stuff you'll hear from me uh, on this podcast, because in the end, all of the info that I'm getting on the return of sports is just pure speculation, and uh, that's all it really can be at this time is speculation. So uh, we don't know where this virus is going to take us and what society is going to look like in a few weeks, let alone a few months. So um, just got to kind of roll with the punches and take it day by day. All right, with fur- without further ado, let's jump into some quick hitters. Everybody. When sports as we know it do finally return, we could have something incredible. It looks like there's a chance, at least, that September to November of this year can truly be a special time for all of us sports bettors. Uh, some of the best-case scenarios play out. The Kentucky Derby, as we know, has been postponed to early September, September 5th to be exact, and the start of the NFL schedule for that same week. Then we have a bunch of golf majors, and of course, that could also be while baseball and the NBA and NHL are also finishing up their 2019-2020 seasons at the same time. Um, in terms of the golf majors, here's the plan. In case you haven't heard, the PGA Championship uh, is planned for August right now. The U.S. Open is planned for September, mid-September. And the Masters uh, is planned for November. The proposed Masters weekend in November also features the Chiefs versus the Ravens, the Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson. So um, it's going to be an excellent weekend if that all ends up happening. Golf obviously looks like it's going to be on track to be the first major U.S. sport to return. The PGA announced it's hoping to make its return on June 8th, uh, that week, for the Charles Schwab Challenge in Fort Worth, Texas. And obviously it makes sense for golf to go back early and be back early, uh, since just given the nature of golf and what it's like, and you don't need the fans, uh, the fan interaction. And uh, Obviously we all know it's, it's not the same as playing some of the other sports, but uh, it's a guessing game too with golf, and, and although I said in the last episode that you know these 
TV contracts are just too big to ignore, and that is the case for some of these other sports. People are going to be clamoring for sports. I think the 4th of July will be an excellent time to obviously bring back you know, something. I think people will be really itching for sports in some ways. It's some sort of morale boost. But either way, sports with fans looks to be a very long way away. And it's safe to say that when we do see major American sports come back, it's going to be a long time before we see them the same way that we're used to seeing them. And I think it's totally reasonable to expect no crowds like we're used to them and until at least 2021. And who knows? I mean, the 2021 schedule itself, I think, is going to be a lot different, too, um, just based off the you know, the residual effects of everything happening right now. And like I said last time, we could be seeing a tectonic shift on the sports landscape, and that may we may even end up seeing a permanent schedule change in some of the sports that, that we enjoy, and some of it actually might make too much sense, you know, like moving the NBA from December to you know, later in the summer. Think that makes a lot of sense, but we'll just have to see what happens. Obviously, and of course, college sports are a completely different story right now. It's a question of if school will even be back in session this fall, let alone sports. And as we know, college sports revenue completely revolves around college football. Lots of schools um, get you know eighty percent plus of their uh, of their revenue from college football. So there's a lot to lose if we don't get a college football season. And speaking of college football season. College football season win totals are out. Caesars Sportsbook went up first in the U.S., I believe. So props to Jeff Davis and his team for getting those done early. Other books have followed suit since then. Um, I want to get ahead on my college football prep work, my season prep work. Obviously, having some extra time right now during the quarantine is an excellent opportunity to be getting ahead on a lot of that work. But um, and it would be the perfect time to do so right now. But I'm just not sure, obviously, that they're going to play the season, let alone even some of the games and it's really hard just to to justify tying up a lot of money for several months and season win total bets. Um, even though there's other sports not being played right now to tie up that money anyway, it's still difficult to, you know, just to, to tie the money up that long. There are some season win totals that I did like early on. Here's a couple of them for you. Might as well give away some of the spots where I found some value. But Ohio, over five wins. Their coach is 19-2 and two on winning seasons of... 21 seasons coaching and they lost their quarterback Ohio which is why I think the number opened a little too low I think the market overreacted or the odds makers overreacted a little bit to the loss of the quarterback but they're still stacked they have a great backfield they're a very consistent team in the MAC, and usually they end up you know, playing closer to their their program baseline and, and expect them to make a bowl game next year if they play the, the full season so Ohio over five is one I like and another one I like is NC State over four and a half in the ACC. By the looks of it, they're supposed to have all 11 starters back on offense, and they should have eight returning on the defensive side of the ball. There's a few cupcake wins on that schedule, Troy, Liberty, Delaware. They also have some winnable games in the ACC, the conference where they definitely can hold their own on a week-in, week-out basis, aside from one particular orange team coming out of South Carolina. But but with COVID-19 at the very least creating a less-than-ideal practice schedule before the season starts, that continuity from last season with all those returning starters for NC State should give them an edge over a lot of their opponents if they do end up playing the full season. So I think NC State over 4.5 in the ACC is, is a good look. But unfortunately, like I said, when it comes to college football, it looks like Playing the full season is a strong underdog at this point, and at best we're probably going to get some short or some sort of a, sorry, some sort of shortened season uh, with just conference games only, that type of schedule. 
Who knows, they might even push college football to next spring or something like that. It's hard to tell at this point, and thus it's hard to put too much prep work in at this point from a season win total perspective. The Last Dance aired this past Sunday on ESPN. Unless you're living under a rock, you've already watched the first two episodes. I am a... I, was born and raised a diehard Chicago Bulls fan that was my childhood, Michael Jordan and the Bulls, and I thought it was an incredible trip down memory lane on Sunday night. I loved how they bounced around the timeline like they did to kind of give com- context and uh, tell a lot more of the story from different angles. I thought that was great. From a betting standpoint, here is some perspective on the Bulls' dominance over that time per David Purdom of ESPN, um, the Bulls' streak on the betting boards. Over the course of two seasons, from November 1995 to June 1997, the Bulls were favored in 185 consecutive games. It's by far the longest streak ever recorded. And, you know, you hear that and you you wonder, what about the Warriors of the past few years? That team was dominant. They seemed like they were double-digit favorites in in most of their games. A quick look back at the Warriors shows that their longest streak of being favorites was 89 games. So the Bulls' streak was over twice as long um, as the Warriors was, just for context. So how did the Bulls do over that 185-game stretch as betting favorites? They went 159-26 and straight up and 97-87-1 and against the spread. They were favored by an average of 10.4 points per game. And amazingly, they were only favored by less than three points five times over that. Uh, that stretch from November of 1995 to June of 1997. So tune in every Sunday, folks, and make sure you watch the one with the curses on it. I, I know ESPN is airing the you know explicit version, not ESPN2, so be sure to watch that, especially when they talk about Rodman in, uh, in, in this Sunday's episodes. Colorado sports betting is getting closer to launch, even though it's going to be without most American sports. The state has had a go-live date scheduled for May 1st, and Colorado has ended up being one of the most promising states for legalized sports betting here in the U.S. Lots of competition, lots of licenses to be had out there, reasonable licensing fees, and then one of the most important aspects is you can register for mobile from the comfort of your couch. So no in-person registration required for mobile wagering. Other states have messed that one up. Intent, Illinois. Take a look at that. But other brands are going to be coming to Colorado. Circa announced that they're going to be um, they're going to be bringing their brand over there. And Westgate announced that they're partnering partnering up with a casino about an hour west of Denver, um, and they're going to be bringing the Super Contest there, which is really exciting. Not the same. They're going to have a separate Super Contest in Colorado than Nevada due to Wire Act concerns. And it looks like the Super Contest is going to be five hundred dollars in Colorado as opposed to the fifteen hundred dollar entry fee in Nevada. But Marcus Danito, the managing editor for us at Bet Chicago and Bet Indiana News, spoke with Jay Cornegay of the Westgate last week. You should definitely check that out. Did a 20 questions thing um, with Cornegay last week, and he kind of dished a little bit on what the Westgate's plans are for Colorado. And it's very, very exciting to see you know a state like Colorado just have so much potential, really get it right. So I, I think that's really a state to look for. Uh, if, you're, if you're a better, definitely make a trip over to Colorado to register for all the apps uh, once you're, when you get the chance once they go live. We had a major American sports betting milestone 
since the last time I came to you for a very short period of time. And that was presidential election betting. It was offered in the state of West Virginia a few weeks ago uh, for a very short period of time. I didn't find out until after they had put it up and had already taken it down. But for one night, for about an hour or so, you can bet on the 2020 U.S presidential election at FanDuel Properties in West Virginia, and I was shocked to hear it, uh, that it was even offered. And sure enough, there was a lot of controversy uh, that stemmed from it. From a legal standpoint, it's very murky whether or not allowing election betting is even legal. And In a nutshell, in a nutshell, I'm just going to really condense this, but there are CFTC concerns, and that's the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, to those unaware. But without getting too complicated, the CFTC can possibly assert jurisdiction over certain types of political wagers. And the Commodities Exchange Act allows the CFTC to reject the offering of certain commodities. And there's a legitimate legal question as to whether political markets fall within this realm. And interestingly, two exchanges, the Iowa Markets and Predict It, they already exist. And, and you can find these markets, you know, presidential markets. They, they exist and they were issued no action letters by the CFTC due to the educational nature that those markets provide. So in that instance, the CFTC has ruled that it's not contrary to the public interest um, in those educational scenarios. So there is precedent to hide under the cloak, so to speak, by operating those markets as educational endeavors. But with sports betting operators out there, there's legitimate risk in running afoul of financial regulators and putting their entire business in jeopardy by offering betting on elections. So there is a complete possibility for a slippery slope to come into play. Um, also, if the CFTC even got involved with sports betting as a whole, and none of us want that, that's for sure. So it's it's really com- complicated, I guess is the best word to describe it. But obviously, an individual state would have to choose to allow election betting as well. That's the main hurdle for allowing it. But a reasonable argument could be made that federal concerns... You know, they would trump state law in this instance, with the CFTC, and it appears to me that West Virginia regulators came in after it was initially offered, you know, and it was passed and approved for, for wagering for that brief period of time. The regulators came in, immediately pulled the plug due to those CFTC concerns. And John Holden at Legal Sports Report, he wrote a very interesting article uh, today that I recommend reading that touches on the West Virginia election betting saga with FanDuel. One thing's for certain, election betting across the pond and in other jurisdictions is huge. And like, like I'm talking like bigger than the Super Bowl huge, and there's no doubt that election betting in the U.S. would be massive, but I just don't see it happening anytime soon, unfortunately. But in terms of the 2020 election odds themselves, because you can still bet this stuff offshore and in some other jurisdictions, there has been some recent steam on Trump He's now around minus 130, minus 140 in the marketplace. It's still very close to a, to a pick'em this election, which is nuts. But as always, be sure to shop around because I know at least one of my outs right now is offering Trump at minus 110, and I know at least one other is offering Biden at plus 125. Um, so an, an ARB opportunity still can be found if you're willing to risk their health. Obviously, there's concerns about you know Biden making it that far, maybe. You know, there's other. This is not a political podcast. I'm not going to get involved with any of that stuff. But um, just from simple betting standpoint, there is some uncertainty this year, and and uh, you know, just don't know what to expect right now. But 
Um, in terms of Vice President Kamala Harris is the short shot to be Biden's running mate, but Amy Klobuchar and Gretchen Whitmer are also right there. Whitmer had some steam in recent weeks. Uh, she's the governor of Michigan, but that steam has since tempered. I actually saw her get ticked back up to 7-1 to one at one spot earlier today, but definitely interesting election betting, and I think in the future the handle could be enormous in America. An Illinois Supreme Court decision last Friday may have a major impact on the future of gaming here in the land of Lincoln and even elsewhere for judges in other states who may follow the same legal reasoning when making their own rulings. And the Illinois Supreme Court ruling from last Friday may open up the door for legal online poker before we know it. And I know a lot of degenerates out there have been moving to online poker lately as their game of choice under quarantine. But in a nutshell, the Illinois Supreme Court ruled that daily fantasy sports are predominantly skill-based and not, therefore not gambling, which is the exact opposite conclusion that judges in other states like Nevada have come to. And the case in question this time around involved a DFS player trying to recover his losses from another player in a head-to-head contest. And the issue at play for the court was whether the DFS contest constituted a quote-unquote bona fide contest for the determination of skill. There are Traditionally, three tests used when determining whether a given test is a game of skill or chance, and those are the one, the any chance test, two, the material element test, or three, the predominant factor test. And I'm not going to get into detail. If you want to know more about what these tests are, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to dive more into the legal jargon and, and all the elements involved. But the Illinois court ended up... Uh, in, in, you have to backtrack a little bit because the Illinois court had previously not adopted any of those three tests, but they ended up using the latter, the third one, the predominant factor test last Friday, uh, which previously, you know, obviously they didn't look at that, but when they used the latter, they asked whether or not the head-to-head contests are predominantly determined by the skill of the players in using their knowledge to outperform their competition. And the court came to a very interesting conclusion here that is just going to end up further making the waters a little bit more murky, obviously, on a state-by-state basis. This does clear things up for DFS operators in Illinois, who know with certainty now, after much uncertainty, that DFS is now indeed legal in the state of Illinois. And in the case of poker, since the Illinois Supreme Court used scientific studies to deem DFS a game of skill, it stands to reason that the same logic can be applied to demonstrate that poker is also a game of skill and thus not gambling. And obviously, there are fundamental differences between DFS and poker, but the door may now be open for legitimate legal challenge on poker in Illinois. So stay tuned for that. And this story is not over. Even soon, we're going to see other states take a look at this. I know New York, um, the the Court of Appeals, New York Court of Appeals is going to take up uh, a case sooner, or very soon, that's that's also going to deal with examining this legal issue and they end up could you know they could use the Illinois decision as precedent, but we shall see. One sport that is going to be back sooner than most of the rest is the UFC. Dana White is hell bent on getting fights going, getting this done. UFC 249, a bunch of upcoming UFCs without fans; those are on the horizon. Fights at the undisclosed Fight Island. I know there's a lot of talk about that, and so stay tuned. Updates on that, but from what I'm hearing, uh, 
some of the proposed fight cards are appetizing, to say the least. But the granddaddy of all sports betting this month, and possibly even over the next couple of months here in America, is this week's NFL Draft, starting Thursday in Las Vegas, but drafting remotely. And these markets have been up for several weeks, as we know, and sports books are going to end up reporting record handle, record betting handle for the draft, which comes as no surprise at all. Obviously, we knew that that was going to happen. And obviously, we, obviously we also know that, um, that Joe Burrow is supposed to go number one. And my biggest play in the draft in terms of bets is who the market expects to go number two, and that's Chase Young. Chase Young under two and a half. Um, it's crazily juiced out right now. I got it when it was at minus 500. I you know, laid it, but the last I saw it jumps, jumped up to uh, minus $25, minus $30. So that looks like it's a done deal. Obviously, the value has been sucked away on that one. But Chase Young looks like he's almost surefire number two pick for the Redskins. But then things get a little little murky after number two. It's unclear what the Lions are going to do with the third pick. Obviously, Jeff Okuda, the cornerback for Ohio State, he's the favorite to go to the Lions at number three. Then the Lions, sorry, the Giants look like they are eyeing an offensive lineman at number four. But what comes next after that is even more interesting because one of the biggest stories uh, in terms of the draft, and, and obviously you've probably been paying attention to this because there's not much else to pay attention to that's that's you know, happening very soon in terms of sports uh, here in America. But the quarterbacks, obviously, whoever's taken second after after uh, Joe Burrow, but the moves on Tua and Justin Herbert have, have been very interesting. Herbert could have been found at around six to one or higher to be the second quarterback taken in the draft, but now he's officially the favorite to go number two at every spot that I've checked. Obviously, that's all. A lot of that's due to Tua's injury concerns. Uh, they've, they have him as red flag, obviously, on draft boards and word on the street, and some teams have taken him off their board entirely. I personally, I'm a believer personally myself in in Herbert and all the hype with him. I think he's going to go either third or fifth in the draft. Usually I don't like making bets at worse odds, but I think it's justifiable, you know, with softer markets like this that move completely off off information or on information. So I I was happy to take Herbert still at the plus price to be the second quarterback taken a few days ago. I also took him at under five and a half. His draft position at a plus price, and that's no longer the case. Could have got a way better price if I did it a few weeks ago, but I could justify it more, obviously, in situations like this, betting into a quote-unquote you know, bad number after a move. Um, when you're dealing with, with a softer market like this, and especially something where it's just all 100% information-based, you know, we don't have to watch them go out and play the games or anything like that. So I'm fine with that. I was able to justify it. So I think Herbert, that was a good look, obviously, to go before two. It looks like a lot of mocks, that's the case but nothing's a sure thing. And Another play that I like um, is more Alabama players taken in the first round than players from LSU. I got that at a good price a few weeks ago. And also total Alabama players in the first round um, more than Big Ten players. That's at plus 175, which I think is still available right now. At least last time I checked, I like it at that price, uh, plus 175. But like I said, Chase Young under 2.5 is my single biggest position on the draft right now. And it's important to note before I go soon, these types of markets have, you know, they move quickly based off information, like I said, but there's opportunities that, you know, just since they are based off information like that, there's opportunities to catch books sleeping at the wheel. So if you're able to shop and have a lot of outs and you notice steam on one player, all it takes is one book to 
be sleeping at the wheel and you can catch them and, uh, you know, put a nice bet down and maybe arbit or, or you can end up just sitting at a really nice position uh, with, with plenty of closing line value uh, come draft day. But remember that, you know, this stuff is based off information. And as we know, nothing is a sure thing in this business. So bet accordingly. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Doggy Juice Pod. I'll be back soon with another quarantined episode, and I'm going to look to mix it up a bit and bring on some guests again in some future podcasts to talk about more higher-level sports betting strategy. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Doggy Juice, and be sure to check out Bet Chicago and Bet Indiana News this week for some NFL draft coverage. Also, like I mentioned earlier, Marcus Donato has been doing a 20 Questions weekly piece uh, with some really awesome names in the sports betting industry. He brought on Captain Jack Andrews the first week and did an interview with him. And then last week was Jay Cornegay of the Westgate. So be on the lookout for those. And then finally, a special shout out to the one and only late great David Malinsky, who tragically passed away two years ago from last week. Um, He's a guy who taught me the most about this industry and who would be an absolute star today. The Doggy Juice Pod is always dedicated to him. I'll be back soon. Stay safe, everyone. Stay healthy out there. And good luck with your bets. Doggy Juice out.